sure. Uh, well, we all, we all wonder uh, at times, don't we, if God can use us, right? We, we want that. We long for that. We want to know that our life matters for something big, something important. And we wrestle, like, can God use me? Even if, even if you're not a person of faith, you may not phrase it quite like that. Maybe more of a question of like, you know, does my life matter, right? Can I accomplish anything of real value on earth? Can God use me to, to raise my kids, to love my neighbors, to build a company, to care for the hurting, right? To see that person I love come to faith in Jesus. Like, can I make a difference on this very, very, very short time we get on planet earth? He can use others. I think most of us would be able to say that, right? It's pretty, oh well, yeah, of course God uses people, but can he use me? Because we know ourselves too well, don't we? We know our limitations, our failures, the mistakes that we make, right? And we can think, man, I'm, I'm too young for God to use me. I'm too old for God to use me. I'm, I'm too poor. I'm too busy. I'm too married. I'm too single, right? Whatever it is, too sinful, too flawed. Well, if that describes you, that, then you sound exactly like the kind of person that God just loves to use. He loves to use the unexpected, right? The people you would never imagine, you know, those who are often overlooked or ignored all throughout Scripture over and over again. So often we see him using the unexpected because God can. And he loves to show us that he can over and over again. And if you take just one thing with you from our time together today, I hope it's this, from Miriam's life, it's that God can. If God can use Miriam, then God can use you. Turn to Exodus chapter 2. So last week we began a new series. We're going to read our scripture in just a moment, but I want to get us started here just for a second. Because last, last week we began a, a new series. Uh, we're calling it Forgotten Family because we're looking at these sort of forgotten family members, right, in, in God's storyline in the Old and New Testament. It's not the, not the famous stories, like the subtle stories, the stories of God's persistent work through ordinary people. And we're going to read the first part of the story in just a moment, but I wanted to kind of start here first because some of you, when you hear it, you're going to be a little bit annoyed because you're like, this is forgotten. Like the first part of this story is actually one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture, right? How does that fit in to the forgotten? Well, some of us may know the first part of this story, but I'm guessing many of us have not seen it really through Miriam's eyes, first of all. And second of all, we haven't really thought about what happens in the rest of Miriam's life after this familiar story. And so the, the story itself, the one we're just about to hear, uh, may not be forgotten, uh, but Miriam has been forgotten. And so we need her story to remind us that God can. And so please, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Jackson, thanks. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. 
She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jackson. Again, for many of us, like, man, we've heard that story so many times, right? Maybe it's new to you, that's okay too, but like this isn't one that we would normally consider to be kind of a, a forgotten story. I mean, Moses, I've heard of, right? Egypt, Pharaoh. But what about Miriam? Because actually her name isn't even used yet in this story. We find out later that her name is Miriam. Right now, she's just sister. She's just a child. A slave girl, actually. And so, like, enter that world for a moment. Like, imagine a world in which you and your people have been slaves for 400 years. You're a slave, your parents are slaves, your grandparents were slaves, your great, 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 all had been slaves. Like, that, that was the only world you knew and understood, right? That was, that was your, your life. And your captors, we find out in chapter 1 of Exodus, have just enacted a new law to cut down on the Hebrew population, right? Genocide has been around for a really, really long time. And so in Exodus 1, it says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So again, put yourself in that, in that space, right? Imagine now being pregnant. You don't know what you're having, right? There's no way to find out. So you have nine months to wait to find out whether or not your child is going to live or die. Boy or girl. And she has a boy, right? And he, he's going to grow up. We know this. She doesn't know this. He's going to grow up to be one of the most important figures in all of the Old Testament, right? He's going he's to deliver the Ten Commandments to God's people. He's going to lead them towards the promised land. He's going to be a picture of the Messiah Jesus who will come, right? We, we know this, right, about Moses. They don't. And all that just depends on whether or not he lives, right? And she's not, you know, his mom, his sister, they're not thinking about Charlton Heston in this moment. Got to love this picture though, right? Yep. That's not, that's not what she's imagining, right? She's not thinking about the parting of the Red Sea or, or any of this. She's just thinking about her baby, and so she hides him. And enter Miriam into the story. And here, I'm just going to be transparent here. here was, here's what made this story come alive to me in, in really fresh ways this week. When I, when I read it this week, I pictured this girl. 
That's my, that's my, my girl. My, my precious daughter. You know, sweet, innocent, right? It's my baby girl. She's 12. And we don't, we don't know how old Miriam is in this story, but she's almost certainly much younger. Some scholars would say she's as young as seven. And no, I, I don't picture Miriam with blonde hair and pale skin. But I picture Miriam with that kind of innocence. Not as a protector, but as someone who needs protecting. Like she's, she's a little girl. She's just a child, a slave. But her baby brother is in trouble. And so she, she watches as her mom says goodbye to him. As, he, as she lays this three-month-old child into a homemade raft and sets him in a river. And then off he goes, right? Verse 4, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. I mean, did she, did she have to watch long? Did she have to follow him? Like, did she see places where, you know, got a little bit crazy and he got a little bit wet? Or, I mean, or was this all part of the plan that she and her mom had cooked up to, to try to rescue him? We, we just, we don't know. What we do know is that God had a plan to deliver his people Israel and that this little girl was a huge part of that sort of first step of that plan, that, that God was going to use her to get it started. And so as we, as we heard read, right, and some of you, again, you know this part of the story. Like, so Pharaoh's daughter, you know, finds the, the basket, right, floating in the river. And verse 6, when she opened it, she saw the child, and the, behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him, right? So this is one of the Hebrew's children. And then his sister, Miriam, Again, I, I, like, I picture her trembling, trying to be brave. I, I picture my own, my own daughter, right? When she's afraid, trying to be strong. I know that look. She walks up to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, the one who had enslaved them, who hated them, the one who made this command to kill the baby boys, that Pharaoh, his daughter. And the child Miriam speaks to her, verse 7. She says, shall I go and call you a nurse? from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. And so like, if you, if you follow this, like, it works out that like, she gets her brother back. Her mom gets her son back. Moses gets his life back. God's plan to rescue his people keeps moving forward. All because of the courage of this little girl. And if God can use her, God can use you, right? I mean, certainly, right? God can. And maybe, maybe this is obvious. Maybe, maybe it isn't. I want to say it anyway. But the first thing we want to pull out of this story, of Miriam's story, is this. Our age can't stop him. Our age, young, old, like, no matter what that looks like for you, your age cannot stop God from using you. Because Miriam's story, I mean, it's certainly not as glamorous as Moses and the burning bush, right, or parting of the Red Sea. But there wouldn't be a Moses without this brave little girl. And so even for those of you kids, students, like you might feel too small or too young to encourage your siblings or parents to 
impact your friends at school or on your team? It's easy to just think, you know, what can I, what can I possibly do? I'm just a kid. But look at, look at Miriam. Like I know, I know for me, when I was in high school, this is a, a big part of my upbringing. I'd grown up in the church. And, and over and over again, I, just, I remember in very conscious ways saying to myself, well, when I get older, then I'll, I'll take Jesus seriously. When I get, when I get older, then, then I'll really like, do what he wants me to do, right? And eventually, as my senior year in high school, I just was like, well, how long am I going to say that, right? And that was a moment for me, a pivotal moment in my life of saying, no, Jesus, you can have all of me now. Because you don't have to wait until you're older. I know sometimes we say things, people say things well-meaning, right? We say, like, kids are the future, right? That's true. Or, or kids are the church of the future. And it's, it's true, right? But it's so much more than that. Like, kids, you are the church right now. Part of God's family and mission and work in the world right now. You don't have to wait until you're older or bigger for God to use you. Your age can't stop him. And also for, for our young adults, right? We have, we have a growing number of young adults here, which is really exciting. Um, you don't have to wait to be used by God. There are ways that you can serve here with your neighbors at work. You don't have to wait. And let me just say, too, for those of us who are a little bit older... We may not always understand our millennial brothers and sisters, or Gen Z, right? But God is going to use them, right? A little respect, people, right? God can. And let me, let me say as well, on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, Miriam is a child, but we also know that God loves to use super old people, right? You can read that in the Bible. You can't, you can't miss that. Um, so a little respect on that end as well. If you're, if you're older... Like, you can't use the excuse of, well, I'm, I'm retired or I'm too tired. This is my excuse. Like, I'm including myself in the older camp, by the way. Uh, too tired, too achy, too out of touch, like whatever. Like, if God was done with you, you'd be dead, okay? If you're not dead, you're not done. And God wants to use you too to pour into the next generation and to continue his work, to serve in his world and to accomplish his will, from the youngest of us to the oldest. God, your age cannot stop God. A couple months ago, we captured a fun story from uh, somebody in our church family. Let's, let's take a walk. Take a look. Ugh, I love that, right? I mean, it's just so simple, right? But isn't that beautiful? Because God can use anybody. Our age cannot stop him. But you know, typically this is kind of where we end Miriam's story, right? We kind of, we stop there. That's the, that's the exciting part, glamorous. And then kind of Moses like sort of takes over in Exodus, right? You can't, you can't miss him. And yet she shows up a couple more times throughout this story. Because yes, Miriam, she, she grows up. Because of her, Moses grows up. And she and her brother Aaron, so all three of them, are credited then for leading God's people through this, this time period. In fact, centuries later, the prophets, they, they reflect back on God's story of deliverance here in, in the Exodus, and they include her as one of the heroes, which is pretty interesting because she's not, again, she's not mentioned a ton, but listen to what God says in Micah 6. God is speaking. He says, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt 
and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And so here, here now in our, our story, right back in Exodus, Exodus 15, she, she pops up again. And Miriam is right at the center. This is at the part of the Red Sea. So they've just kind of walked through on dry, gr- dry ground, right? Uh, and the Egyptian slave masters who are chasing after them have just been drowned in the sea, right? And listen, listen what it says about Miriam. Exodus 15, verse 20. It says, that, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider. He has thrown into the sea. It's kind of a beautiful song, right? About God's judgment on their enemies. But she rejoices in God's deliverance. And she leads God's people in, in celebration and, and worship. And she's even referred to, did you notice this? She re- referred to as a prophetess. This is the first woman in the Bible. She is the first woman in the Bible with that title, prophetess. Someone who, who speaks and leads on behalf of God. And not only, not only that, it's another just sort of interesting tidbit about Miriam. Uh, unlike most women in the Bible, She's never referred to as a wife or a mother, which in that culture would be very, very unusual. And so that, that means she was probably, probably single, probably childless, which, which again, in that, in that culture would have been extremely rare, even perhaps shameful by many people. But there, there's no shame here, no shame in the way that, that she's talked about. And this doesn't, this doesn't minimize, of course, the important work of being a wife and mom. Like, if that describes you, like, yes, absolutely, go for it. But that's not the most important thing about you. For Miriam, who was likely none of those things, is considered a hero, a prophetess, a leader with God's people, because God can. Which, which leads to the second reason we need this forgotten story. We cannot forget about Miriam. Second, second, this might be obvious again, but I think it needs to be said that our gender can't stop him. Our gender can't stop God from using us. Female and male matter deeply to the heart of God, and being a woman doesn't mean you get a backseat to God's mission. That even Miriam here could be a prophetess. Now listen, it's not that gender is irrelevant, okay? Gender matters to God. It was his idea. It's not a cultural invention. Uh, Even though most cultures have abused or misused gender in any number of ways, and yet gender itself is a good and beautiful thing. Men and women are not the same. We're not meant to be the same. We're not interchangeable. We are meant to work and love in a beautiful relationship, meant to reflect the glory of God and his love for his people. Gender matters. But if you think that being a woman, or being a single woman, or being a woman without kids, or being a married woman with a ton of kids, right, or whatever, like if you think any of that inhibits the ability of God to use you, you're just wrong. It didn't stop Miriam, and it shouldn't stop you. 
And, and yet, I know, right, we know this, that so often, unfortunately, the subtle and sometimes not so subtle treatment of women by fellow Christians has done a terrible job communicating that women matter as much as men. In fact, maybe this is one of the reasons you're not a Christian. You know, maybe, maybe the, or maybe you are a Christian, but this is an area of deep wrestling for you, deep, deep doubt, or maybe you have neighbors or friends or coworkers that you know, like, this is a big barrier to them wanting to follow Jesus. And let me just say, like, far too often, this critique has been all too true. People have used the Bible to mistreat women. And if you've experienced that, I'm really sorry. Like, that is not, that's not God's heart for you. That's not what this book is trying to do by any stretch. But this, this book, which I love, and we know this, can sadly be twisted to do all kinds of harm, right? It can be. It shouldn't be, but it sometimes is. And I'm, so, I'm sorry, that is, not, that is not God's heart for you. And I, I know at Christ Community, we have failed to live up to our own theological commitments. While, while we do as a church believe there are biblical distinctions between men and women, we have not fully lived into our biblical commitment to empower more women leading and pastoring and teaching within our complementarian framework. We're making progress, I think. But we have a long ways to go. And if you have questions about what that means, how we try to live that out, or even what I mean by complementarian framework, like, talk to us. We'd love to work through some of these things with you. This is really, really important. And so, yes, some of, some of the critique towards the church, towards Christians, is absolutely deserved. We've not done a good job here. And yet... Theologian and an apologist, Rebecca McLaughlin, she's wrestled deeply with this, and I'd highly recommend her books to you as kind of a theologian, apologist. She works through this. In her book, she seeks to understand why, not only historically, but around the world, even today, like even right now, like the church is disproportionately female, like from the very beginning, from the first century. And so she kind of has set out to like, why have more women been drawn to Jesus? Well, because, at least in part, she points out, Jesus completely upended the common assumptions around gender roles in their culture in that day and in every culture. I mean, just for example, like today, like we all know, we just take for granted culturally that men and women are equal. Like we just, like, we don't question that. We just, we assume that. We know that, like, within us. But in the, in the ancient world, they were just as convinced as we are that women were inferior to men. Right? Wrongly, sadly, but they were, they were absolutely culturally convinced that that was true. But Jesus and the church welcomed women, gave them dignity and safety, leadership and purpose outside of traditional gender roles, far from undermining the worth, value, and dignity of women. The biblical story in its cultural context provides the very foundation for those things. In fact, Rebecca, she points out that the, the reason our culture believes in women's rights and human's rights, which obviously are so important, right? We, we want to get around that. But the reason we do culturally is not because of our philosophical commitments as a culture, right? If we're just, if we're just highly evolved animals, then it's survival of the fittest, right? The power should take from the weak. It is Christianity, she points out, and Christianity alone that has shaped our culture in such a way that has made human rights so important to us. That is the bedrock on which all of this stands, right? And so, it, again, it's easy to sort of look at the, the Bible or, or the church history and, and point out the flaws, and rightly so. And yet so much of what we stand on 
is back directly to this book that we love. With Jesus, with so many stories like Miriam's, we're going to look at some of these stories in the Forgotten Family series as well. Um, but in them, it's, it's clear. Women are called by God to play a critical role in his mission. And frankly, that we, just, we need each other, right? Male and female to reflect the beauty, the complexity, the strength and wonder of the image of God. And God can use you. There's one more snapshot in this story that we have to point out. I'll be, I'll be quick on this one. Because Miriam's story actually kind of ends, kind of ends with a fizzle. Not with, a, not with an exciting triumph. In fact, it's in, it's in Numbers 12, so we have to skip. This is the other place where kind of the big, she's, she's spotlighted. We just can't, we can't miss it because Miriam, like Aaron and Moses, like, like everyone, like you and me, Miriam is a sinner. And in number t- Numbers 12, her kind of her final story, she just, she blows it. She and, and Aaron and Moses, they kind of get in this power struggle, right? And it's sort of, it's Aaron and Miriam versus Moses. And they, Aaron, they, they sin against God in, in doing so. Like, it's, it's not a pretty moment. And as a result, actually, I mean, it's pretty dramatic. Like, Miriam becomes a, a leper. Like, leprosy in this. Which would have, you know, condemned her to a life, whatever remained of her life, as an, as an outcast. But I love this. The story doesn't end there. They... Repent. Aaron says on behalf of both of them, Numbers 12, 11, says, Oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. And then seven days later, she's healed. And don't, don't forget, like the prophet later on, centuries later, doesn't, doesn't mention this part of the story, right? Doesn't, doesn't dwell on her mistakes, but still highlights the role that she played in leading God's people as one of the ones he uses because God can. So one, one last sort of lesson from this, why we need this story so badly. Again, it's probably obvious to many of us, but I want to say it anyway, that our mistakes can't stop him. Our age, our gender, and not even our mistakes, not our failures or our sins, they can't stop God from working. We see this in basically every story of every person in all of the Bible. We see it in our lives, mine and yours, the the famous ones and the forgotten ones. It never stops God from working. And so whatever you're you're looking at in your life, your past, your present, and saying, well, God, I I did this, or I live like that, or I have this thing that I still struggle with, and say, well, God can't use, you're just wrong. God wants to use you. He wants to help you work through those things, but he wants to use you even in those spaces. And if God can use her, he can use you. You know, centuries, centuries later, there'd be another Miriam, actually. We don't, we don't think of it this way because we don't pronounce her name that way. We pronounce it Mary. But it's actually, it's actually almost the exact same word in the language, Miriam and Mary. And there's a lot of similarities between the two of them because Mary was just a child, right? When she was invited to be, play a critical role in God's plan to redeem his people. She showed unbelievable courage as a teenage girl. She even sang a song of God's deliverance like Miriam, right? She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
And while Miriam probably had no children, we know that Mary had Jesus. And Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, he would be the reason why none of this stuff can stop God from working, that our, our age and our gender and our mistakes, not even the grave, could stop him. For just as the Lord threw the Egyptian slave masters into the sea, he also threw death and sin into the grave. So that the things that, that might limit us or divide us or destroy us no longer get the last word over us. And so young and old, male and female, no matter how sordid your past or how difficult your present, if he can turn seas into highways, if he can turn graves into gardens, if he can use Miriam and Mary, he can certainly use you. God can. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe this. Not, and not just believe it, but to actually see it in our lives. God, I, I pray that you would use us. We want, we want to bear fruit in your world. And so God, I, I pray for those who even right now are feeling maybe the inadequacies at home or at work or at school or whatever places in which they feel um, just that you're unable. Lord, I pray that you'd show them otherwise. That even now you'd whisper of your grace and love to them. That they would see that you long to work. And God, I pray that we'd be receptive instruments in your hands. Eager to be used by our loving Father. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name.